0: And welcome to another episode of You Won't Believe It. Today we are joined by Mr. Elliot Connor.
1: Hello, hello.
0: Hey there. And uh, is there anything you'd like to introduce about yourself before we get started?
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm a British born Australian conservationist. I run an international environmental charity and I. I'm an animal lover, so I do lots of animal rescues here in Sydney. I write, I host my own podcast. I recently gave a TED speech. Uh, so I do a bit of everything, really, uh, but really looking forward to the show. Yeah,
0: and quite a bit of communication in there. So it's I'm very glad to have you out here. So, um, yeah, I hear you have a story for me, but it might not be true.
1: Ooh, I think that's for you to decide. Uh, but my story for you is that when I was eight years old, uh, I had my peanut butter sandwich stolen by a wombat. By a wombat? Yes, yes. It's <laughs> one of the most ferocious creatures out here in Australia, as you can tell. <laughs> oh, oh, that's awful because I,
0: I know wombats exist and I know that they're in Australia, but I have no idea what
1: it is. <laughs> uh, okay. Um <laughs> You imagine a bear crossed with a footstool. That's a pretty good approximation. <laughs> okay, and you said you were eight? Yes, eight years old at the time.
0: Okay, so um, how how big would a wombat be
1: to an eight-year-old? Quite large. So a comparable size to a pig, if you can... I uh, think of that sort of scale, okay. like a small pig, uh, but bigger than me, certainly <laughs> burlier. <laughs> okay.
0: And, uh, and, and when you say it was stolen, was it that you turned away for a minute and then it just wasn't there anymore? Or was it like like it actively came up to you and just, just wrestled you for it?
1: Yeah. Well, that's where the story gets interesting, uh, because here in Australia, uh, there's a conservationist uh, called Peter Nicholson. Uh, so quite famous uh, locally, uh, but what he did as a schoolchild actually uh, was uh, on, I believe it was a camp or maybe it was a a, a school out in the bush somewhere, uh, but he spent uh, many of his spare hours uh, going down wombat holes, uh, crawling down them. Of course, wombat's burrow underground, uh, like rabbits, if you will, uh, but quite complex burrows and He effectively started the study of wombat burrows, of wombat lives themselves, uh, just by having these little adventures uh, crawling down the burrows. And uh, they're quite large burrows. So if you imagine a basketball times two uh, sort of diameter, so quite considerable. Uh, But I'd recently read a book about him, a biography uh, called The Secret Life of Wombats, I believe it was a long time ago. Uh, But I was inspired, I guess, to take after this uh, slightly eccentric uh, Australian naturalist. And I'd been investigating some wombat burrows, uh, but they have multiple entrances. So what I believe happened is the wombat had uh, walked up on me from behind. uh, So come up uh, when I wasn't looking and I... I'd left my lunch out uh, to go down this wombat hole. Uh, so it had a good investigation of the edible <laughs> uh, factors. So I think it was sandwich and apple, uh, that sort of thing.
0: So, so the, uh, was the, the only thing stolen was your sandwich?
1: I don't think it took the apple, no. I mean, it didn't take it far. So a wombat. Uh, they don't <laughs> naturally eat. Peanut butter sandwiches, uh, (laughs) but there you go. That was
0: going to be my next question. Like, is is that like, can you get peanuts and peanut butter natively in Australia so that
1: a wombat could harvest that? Because it feels like quite hard to get uh, peanut butter in Australia. Right, Uh, right. Yeah, I'm quite a fan. So (laughs) that was what I had on the day. I actually happen to know that. Wombats take after wheat bix in captivity. Uh, they go for the breakfast cereal. <laughs> uh, I've done uh, bits and pieces of work experience at zoos, uh, <laughs> assisting keepers uh, volunteering thereabouts. Uh, so they're fed wheat bix uh, if you can believe that as well, or I might be lying.
0: <laughs> I, I, I believe that wombats would eat healthy. They seem like a healthy animal. Um, <laughs> it seems like... Uh, but... You didn't. So, so you did. You didn't feel. You, you. It wasn't a Vegemite sandwich that you that you brought with you.
1: No, I hate Vegemite. Oh, I hate Vegemite mm. and barmite, Actually, I hate both. Oh, okay. Oh, that that makes it harder then.
0: <laughs> um. Oh, what, weird. All right. So. So you. So you went on. So from from this, I, I'm assuming since you were eight then that you you went on and developed your, did you develop your um, conservationist uh, feel after or before this had happened? Were you already like into nature
1: or was this like something that happened
0: later in your life?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I don't think you can pinpoint a date uh, to such things. Uh, I grew up with a British family. uh, So bird watching, uh, walking in the countryside was part of that family culture. Uh, We'd go on holidays looking for animals, uh, so on safari or what have you. Uh, But (laughs) I guess I'd always been fascinated by animals, by living creatures. Uh, So I've got many interesting anecdotes uh, along these lines. Uh, When I was 10, I was stalked by a leopard in Botswana. (laughs) Uh, When I was much younger, uh, so two, three, I was (laughs) attacked by a kangaroo because I tried to feed it sticks. Uh, I've been chased by alligators, monkeys, baboons. Uh, I was recently in South Africa doing some filming work uh, this July uh, where we had hyenas wandering through the campsite. Uh, So I think it rose in me uh, much more recently, but it's always been there.
0: Interesting. Okay, so I think I have it now. I I think that this did happen. And the reason I think it happened is because I was going to say at first, like it probably didn't happen because if it did, then it might have turned you off to nature because you remember that one time as a child that your food was stolen. But if you've gone through these other things, if you have (laughs) you've dealt with these other animals in this capacity and you still are a fan of nature, then I don't think the wombat would have changed your mind. So
1: I am going to say that this is true. Oh, well, I've got a big button here I can press. It happens to be a red button, though, and it was a lie. What? Oh, it was...
0: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> is it? Yes,
1: yes. Much of the story was true. I have had many other experiences with animals, but a wombat never took my peanut butter sandwich.
0: Oh, is it? Is... So so now, now I have to know, um, is a wombat really the way that you've described it
1: yes yeah yeah of course okay.
0: <laughs> and they do live in and their burrows are about the size of two basketballs and not much bigger
1: yeah uh two one and three quarters thereabouts quite okay. large certainly okay. i could have fit down at one as an eight-year-old i think <laughs>
0: okay but at that I point didn't try. i can't
1: <laughs> i can't speak anecdotally
0: <laughs> okay um but at that time you were interested in wombats and you'd read the wombat book already? No,
1: no. I actually oh. read that book quite recently. I think I got it here.
0: <laughs> oh, you're good. Okay. <laughs> nice. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, like I I think the the thing that tried that convinced it for me was the um was the other animals. And I was like, if you were if you were gonna make one up it would be a crazier one about crazier animals but yeah Now
1: oh. no i actually asked my family uh, what lie i should tell on the show so
0: so well done i okay. think that's
1: where it came from <laughs> but i had to bluff the rest
0: <laughs> oh so well done um yeah so um but you do you are actually a conservationist you are actually in australia um those yes. things are those things are true <laughs> And um, would you like to talk a little bit about your work?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, you asked uh, during uh, the trying to discern uh, whether my fact was uh, truth or a lie, uh, how long I'd be interested in nature. Uh, So what I said there essentially stands. I'd always had uh, some passion uh, for other animals, for the natural world. Uh, But it really kicked off for me uh, maybe two years ago now. Uh, So... I'd started taking on many, many volunteering placements. I mentioned I spent uh, some time working with zoos uh, and much other time uh, working with local environmental organisations. And then about a year ago, uh, almost a year and a half now, uh, so in early 2019, I spent a month lodging in southern France in midwinter. So it was January, I believe, and... At the time, I was volunteering with a raptor and hedgehog rehabilitation centre. So caring for uh, injured birds of prey, uh, other small critters uh, that happened to be in French countryside, which of the public had uh, reported, called in, uh, which needed uh, some long term care. Uh, But in some of the long winter nights I spent in the castle there, actually, I was lodging in a very old castle. And I happened to uh, spend quite a number of hours actually researching the operations of about 200 major environmental NGOs. Uh, So uh, I guess in the time I'd spent before then volunteering with various organisations, I'd got a fairly good feel for the space. uh, But I'd also had uh, some quite significant challenges uh, trying to get involved as a minor. So I'm still only 17. uh, But trying to branch out to get into those quite uh, reclusive networks. Uh, So this was an exercise for me in uh, working out what was out there, what was being done. Uh, But what it showed me most of all was that all of these organisations had tremendous difficulties engaging volunteers. Uh, So I guess it's what I'd suspected to a degree, uh, but it really confirmed that point for me. And a few months on I started this charity of mine which is Human Nature Projects, so I've been running that now for just over 12 months and uh, we've now got volunteers in 104 countries I believe, uh, so it's going really well. Uh, it's grown tremendously as a community and really trying to provide that entry point, uh, that accessible way in which global citizens can contribute to causes like this uh, which sort of bypasses those echo chambers of the status quo, uh, some of those maybe slightly elitist uh, viewpoints, uh, some of that knowledge gap, if you will, uh, which has historically prevented people from really making a difference in these spaces. Uh, So, yeah, that's what I've been engaged in uh, this past year.
0: Yeah, so what do you think is the main block or obstacle for people volunteering
1: yeah, so, I mean, it's certainly a number of things. Uh, what we've found is that the knowledge gap is very much present. Uh, I recently did some research across a thousand members of public on what they knew of current events, uh, <laughs> the status quo, if you will, of uh, world environments. And actually, they got worse than random chance in the multiple choice. Uh, so no. they would have done better guessing what <laughs> was going on, uh, which is... Quite bad, as you can imagine. Uh, that's really saying something.
0: Okay. So, so what people... what is? Uh, uh, so, sorry to interrupt here, but uh, I have to know what is the main things that people don't know about.
1: Well, one of the major things we did find is that people think uh, the status quo is actually much worse, uh, much worse off than it actually is. So, uh, some of the questions, I mean were on events like the Amazon bushfires or rhino poaching. Uh, so asking how badly the uh, Amazon rainforest had been affected, it's been about 20% destroyed as a result of those bushfires. Uh, but the majority said 80% had, so really large uh, gap, obviously really large difference. Uh, rhino poaching in South Africa is a tremendous success story. Uh, so it's halved in numbers over the past five years, but again, the majority say it's doubled. <laughs> so quite a big difference uh, between the two, uh, but because of media, because of the way uh, our current storytelling operates, uh, perhaps these messages don't get out there. We're stuck with this very pessimistic worldview. Uh, so that was certainly an element of it. And besides that, I think it's just that people aren't taught these things, uh, the way we're brought up, uh, the way the school system works, uh, it's certainly not part of the curriculum, uh, basic ecology uh, no. or uh, what have you. Uh, so, yeah, bringing people up to speed is really quite easy to do, uh, but just giving people an opportunity to connect uh, with these experiences, give them that motivation uh, is what we're aiming for at this stage.
0: That's that's very cool. That is... Um certainly a, an, an area that is becoming more and more pressing now with all the global uh, climate change t- discussions. And I, for one, as an old person, kind of (laughs) think it's amazing seeing uh, the younger generation taking taking charge and taking this seriously quite frankly in ways that other people that older people have not been and really looking into it doing this kind of information digging through the wombat holes if you will to find out what uh, what needs to be done and helping out so thank you and uh, thank you again so much for stopping by today
1: Thank you. It's been great fun uh, being on the show. So thank you all to the listeners and have a great week.
0: Thanks. You too.